Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't, I don't like choices. Like if I'm really being honest, I hate them. Like my goal in life is to be like Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs level rich, that I could just wear the same outfit every day for the rest of my life so that I don't ever have to wake up trying to figure out what I got to wear in the morning. Some of you guys are into fashion. I had Drew dress me today. I was like, can you do that cuff thing that you do? And just make it how you want it. Because if I have to choose, like, how big of a cuff is too big? Like, nah, nah, man. Just, just choose for me. I hate making decisions. I found out there's actually this thing called decision fatigue. Anybody who is a parent knows what that is because you experience it daily. Uh, you can actually get tired from just making decisions. I got like two choices in me a day. If I have to decide from two things, more than twice a day, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm tapped out. Ruben, where you want to go? Wherever you want. Just, just go. I hate making choices. And it also is, is bad to be the person that I am in the world that we live because we live in a world where there is so much choice, there's more choice than there has ever been on. There's, I th- it used to just be Netflix. Like when you talk about, oh, you go on TV, it used to just be Netflix, but now there's like 18 different streaming channels. Disney got a, Disney, a streaming channel. NBC got a streaming channel. They all got streaming channels and they're all the same. Like you ever try to watch Netflix with friends? Netflix is like the video version of Monopoly. It'll ruin friendships. Because you'll be, oh, yeah, let's just put on a movie. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be cute. And then like an hour in, you're like, you want to you watch, watch this? Oh, this is a good, uh, i kind of seen it already. I'm not really in the mood. Let's see what else. Let's see what else. She's like, just pick. Just pick a movie. And then you pick one. And then 15 minutes go by. And then like, like me, when I pick a show, I usually don't pick the show and then watch the show. I usually watch other people's reactions to make sure they're liking it. I'm like, do you like? And then God forbid they don't like it. I'm gonna take it off because I'm not about to have my reputation. Like Ruben made us watch that corny show on Netflix. Like I can't have that. So I'm like, we're picking something else. And then another hour goes by and we have to sift through so many options and so many choices. And I just hate making decisions in life. I wonder if it is a millennial thing. I don't know, but. I just don't like making choices. <laughs> we're back. We're back. Good. Uh, people on the podcast are going to be like, what just happened? He, made, he said, I hate making choices and left. <laughs> but today we're talking about choice. We're talking about decisions. And what I love is we're going to be talking about the one decision that matters. And we're going to be talking about that because it correlates a lot with the song Endless Alleluia. A quick background about this song is, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward song, right? Endless means forever. Alleluia is just fancy for praise. It's about a lifestyle of worship, worshiping forever, worshiping continuously. And when you sing that song, man, it just hits my heart. But also when you read the lyrics, can I confess to you guys? Uh, it's written by Corey Asbury. I was a little hating on your boy, Corey. I was. Because, like, look at the lyrics. Look at the lyrics. Like, in the morning when I rise to meet you, in the morning when I lift my eyes, you're the only one I want to cling to. You're the first thought on my mind. And that's cool and all, but, like, dang, Corey, like, I was hating because, like, Corey seems perfect. Like, I'm going to be honest, like, Jesus is not the first thing on my mind. You know what's the first thought on my mind? I'm late. I'm late. Even when I'm not late. Like, I've woken up at 4 o'clock in the morning, got dressed, been fully clothed, and been like, dang, I'm, I'm not even supposed to be up right now. What the heck? That's the first thought on my mind. You know what the second thought on my mind is? Yo, God, that was a weird dream. Like, what, what did we eat? Let that be the last time I eat tacos at midnight. Can we... 
because I was just weird. And I'm looking at Corey at first, and I'm, I'm hating on him. I'm like, ooh, you're so perfect. This, ooh, Jesus is the first thing on my mind, and I rise to meet him, and oh, Jesus, and I worship forever. And I was a little jealous because I want that life. <laughs> but I'm grateful that, I, that we do messages like these because in examining this song, what you realize is this song is not, I think if you were to ask Corey, do you struggle to worship first thing in the morning? Do you struggle for an endless hallelujah? I think he would say, of course. Because I don't believe this song is about worshiping without struggle. I think it's an endless hallelujah in spite of the struggle. It's saying that, no, 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 it's not that I don't struggle for the first thing to be, for Jesus to be the first thought on my mind. It's saying I have chosen that he will be the first thought on my mind. I declare that he will be the first thought on my mind. I declare that when I go to sleep, he will be the last thing on my mind. And when you think about it that way, then, you know, I don't hate Corey as much. It's like, oh, you, all right, I can get with that. And what's so cool about the song, it's actually structured and its, its layout is in a beginning, middle, end of a day. And so we see in the morning when I rise to meet you, uh, then it goes, into, uh, it goes into the chorus just before the, ver the second verse. And let our voice, so in the morning, think about it, in the morning, now he's, if we read the lyrics as if they're events happening, now he's worshiping. Let our voices rise, all creation cries, join with heaven's song, singing out an endless Hallelujah. His day is starting with worship. Then he goes into the second uh, part, the, the second verse. And here it says, in the moments where you go unnoticed, in the day-to-day -day and afternoon, in the hustle-bustle of life, miracles still lead me to your name. They point like arrows to your name. And in the middle of his day, what does he do? He gets into worship. Because after this verse, it goes right back into the chorus. And then from the chorus... We're in the bridge. He talks about the brevity of life, only a moment to live this life like shooting stars, burning up the night. Then he goes right back into the chorus. And so if we're looking at it as if it's someone's day, he's spending his entire day in worship. And then it, it, it comes into the post-chorus. In the midst of worshiping, in the midst of the presence of God, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than this right now, than this moment. There's just nothing better. And he ends the song like he ends his day. In the evening, when I lay my head down, in the evening, when I close my eyes, you're still the only one I want to cling to, and you're the last thought on my mind. And because it mirrors the first verse, it's as if it's creating this cyclical pattern, like you're the first thought on my mind, you're the last thought on my mind. So tomorrow, what are you going to be? The first thought on my mind because the song is about an endless lifestyle of worship. And what's really cool is that people often use a day as a metaphor for life. So you're born and that's the first time you open your eyes. And when we pass away, it's the last time we close our eyes. And so not only are we seeing a day of worship, but we can also, through that lens of a metaphor, see it as a lifetime of worship. Because the song is about a continual, perpetual, endless worship. And, and the fact that he talks about the brevity of life, he says only a moment to live this life only kind of compares life being like a day. And so we're talking about continuous lifetime of worship. But again, it's not without struggle. It's in spite of struggle. Because I believe when we sing this song and when he wrote this song, we're saying we've chosen to live this life. And the post-chorus, what we're going to talk about today, is why. The post-chorus, he says, there's nothing better. Man, there's just nothing better than this than this right now, to be saturated in the presence of God, to be with God, to be hearing his voice, to be speaking to him. There's just nothing better. And it ties so perfectly into the scripture that I want us to look at today because in Luke 10, Jesus uses the same verbiage. He says, Mary has chosen what is better. We're going to open to Luke 10, 38, 41, and it reads like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way he came to a village where a woman named Martha, this, 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 verse, this sentence right here isn't 
going to be fully in our text, but it's important. Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then it continues, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. She chose what was better, and it won't be taken away from her. It's endless. You want to, let's, let's look at what Mary chose today, because Mary's choice parallels with the song because the song is about the same choice. And they both choose, uh, 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 make an important choice. And I don't believe that Mary makes a choice without options because that, that's literally how choices work. You have to have options in order to choose something. Otherwise, you're just taking, right? Otherwise, you're just having. And I believe that Mary had the same choices as Martha did. But Mary chose the better thing over the many things. Jesus says, Martha, you're worried about many things. And I believe Mary could have been in the same place, but she made a different choice. That they both had the same options, but different choices. And here's what Mary chose. There's only one verse in here that talks about Mary. But in that, we see her choice. In verse 39, it says, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. What Mary chose instead of the many things was Jesus. She chose sitting at his feet, listening to him, and being in his presence. Mary chose Jesus over the many things, and Jesus was the better thing. And I think we as a church, we see this, and we're like, amen. Like, I want to choose Jesus over the many things. I want to be a person who sees all that life throws at me and says, no, in spite of the struggle, I'm going to worship. In spite of the obstacles, I choose Jesus. Because we know that there's nothing better than Jesus. We know there's nothing better than his promises. We know there's nothing better than his love. We know there's nothing better than the purpose that he has for us. We know there's nothing better but I think Martha gets a bad rep because I feel like so often we feel like Martha made the bad choice, but I don't think Martha made the bad choice. It doesn't say she made the bad choice. I think Mary, Martha chose the good things. The problem is the good things weren't the better thing. And I feel like Martha gets a bad rep, and it's ironic because so often in life we're Martha. I'm definitely not Mary. Nah. I'm Martha. So often in life, I've gotten caught up with the many things. I've had a BRB prayer life. Like, Lord, hold on. I'll be right back. Oh, Jesus, where were we? Where were we? God, wasn't it? Oh, wait, wait, I'm late. I, I'll, I'm gonna, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to pray on the bus on the way. I'm going to do that. I'm just going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go on Instagram and watch a VU church motivational video. I'll be right back, God. And I have a BRB walk Despite knowing that there's nothing better, I find myself in Martha's situation. And again, what Martha was doing wasn't bad. Actually, it was fantastic. Jesus, one, Martha invited Jesus to her home. And if Jesus was in her home, one, he came with 12 disciples. So he already, it's a crowd. Two, it, it's, it's believed that that's the way church services operated back then. So Jesus would have been... Uh, he would have been teaching, and what Martha was doing was preparing what we're having right now. Those were her preparations. She wasn't just getting a mani-pedi. She wasn't just, just focused on her. She was actually trying to get everything prepared so that people could come and, and hear what Jesus had to say. She chose good things. She chose many good things. The problem was... They weren't the better thing. 
And we're going to see how Mary had the same options. I believe Mary had the same options. They were in the same house. They were doing the same thing. And today we're going to see how, how Mary was able to, because I want to get from Martha to Mary, how Mary was able to choose Jesus over the many things. We're going to look at the text and see some of the options Mary had and how she chose Jesus over those options and how we can do this to have an endless hallelujah life. Do we have a church who wants to live out an endless life of worship? So then we're going to journey together and, and, and by the end of this sermon, I hope to impart things that we can all apply in our lives. And so we see right away in verse 39... Mary's first choice. It says that she had a sister, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what she said. And then it continues in verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. The first thing we see Mary choose is Jesus over her distractions. Rather than get caught up like Martha did, Mary is positioned with Jesus rather than be distracted. And what's crazy is the verse juxtaposes Martha's position to Mary's. It says that Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus, but Martha was distracted. It's as if when you read that, it's saying Martha should have been there too. But Martha was distracted. Martha should have been in his presence, but Martha got, a, got distracted. Martha got caught up. And what's crazy is Martha's the one who invited Jesus into her home. And I think so often we invite Jesus into our lives. I've been there where I say, Jesus, come into my life. And then I go, oh, wait, hold up. I got to prepare things for you. Let me get ready before I get to you, God. And we get distracted when all we need to do is put ourselves in a position. And I read it and I think, man, if Martha could get distracted, like how much easier it is for us. Like Martha ain't have an iPhone with thousands of notifications a day. Martha wasn't getting likes on Instagram. Like, ooh, I just got a follower, hold on. Jesus, you got followers, but I got a thousand followers. We are constantly inundated with information and knowledge and what's worse is there is a, a sense of an urgency and immediacy on all the things that come our way. We feel like we have to, here's a test if you've been distracted. You ever go into your phone for one thing and then 30 minutes go by, you never even did the thing you went into your phone for, but you did 20 other, you've been distracted. All our distractions take away from what really matters. But Mary makes a different choice. It's not that the distractions weren't there. Mary's in the same house. I'm sure Mary's worried about the same thing. But Mary had a different position. I don't know where Martha was, but I know that she wasn't at the feet of Jesus. She was in the distractions. And we see that Mary separates herself and seats herself away from the noise. She puts herself in a position where the distractions don't come to her. She takes time out of, she takes a moment to separate herself. Like, could you imagine if Mary was trying to be with Jesus but was in the kitchen with Martha? Yeah, Jesus, yo, that's crazy. Yeah, you guys fed him with the five. Oh, hold on, hold on. I got to. Oh, yeah. What, what would you say? Hold on, hold on. Martha's calling me. Oh, hold on, hold on. I got to take care of this. Could you imagine if she had not put herself in a position that by the time the interruption came, see, when Martha comes and says, make Mary help me, Mary's already positioned in a place where that distraction can't pull her out of his presence. I think we think we have to fight the distractions. That's that Martha mentality. I know that Martha wanted his presence, but I think that Martha said, if I can just get this done, if I can just do this, then I'll have time for him. Then I'll have time for him. Whereas Mary said, oh, Jesus, I'm going to make the time. And there's some practical ways that we can do this in our lives. You can create a prayer corner in your home, a space. And Sheila will give you all the tips and tutorials. She got the illest prayer corner. You can make a prayer corner in your home, a space where you say, this is just me and you, God. Nobody else. 
You can make it a coffee shop where you can just focus and nobody will bother and you can just throw on worship music and read your word. You can make it your car if that's the only place the kids can't get in to be like, mommy. But there has to be a place where you are separated from the hustle and bustle and all the chaos. And what's crazy is it's almost as if, it's almost as if Mary doesn't even have to make the choice. Because before the, the, the options come, she's already in a position where Jesus is already there. And if you put into practice daily time with the Lord, you'll find yourself having to make the choice of Jesus over distractions less because Jesus... That's it. Like, it's just Jesus. I'm already in my worship time. I'm already here. Like, you can't pull me out. Let Martha come and say, yo, Mary, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm with Jesus. That's not the only option Mary has. I don't think that's, the, that's not the only option we have when we try to walk this life as Christians. Because Martha does come in. And Martha was distracted by, it says in, uh, in Luke, it continues, it says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And what's crazy is, like, that's an exclamation point. Like, she yelled at Jesus. That's crazy. I'm like, dang, girl. I would never. I mean, I have, but I would never. Jesus, don't you care? And we see that Mary's image is being attacked. Because now Mary doesn't seem like she's done anything good. Mary seems like she's left Martha to do all the work. And what's crazy is we just read a few moments ago that Mary never left Martha. It was Martha who left Mary. It says Mary was at the feet of Jesus, but Martha got distracted. And there's going to be times in our lives where we choose Jesus and people will flip and distort and make it seem as if it's you who made the bad decision. And they will attack your image. And what will happen is we'll feel this need to defend our image and protect our image. But Mary doesn't do that. Mary, what we see is Mary doesn't even say anything. And she was willing to risk criticism over her choice. And we know this because she makes the choice and the criticism comes. But what if her perception of people mattered to her more than the presence of Jesus? Honestly, I don't even have to ask that question because I've lived that life. I lived the, I've lived the life where people's perceptions, their judgments, their, oh, that's going to be awkward. And you know what's crazy? It's, it's never the big things. I always think it's the big things that, like, yo, let someone tell me, deny your faith. Uh-uh. Jesus over everything. That's not happening. I always think it's going to be the big choices. But it's always, like, the little trivial stuff. Like, I'd be so focused on trying to win the war, but I find that I'm losing the little tiny battles, not realizing that the way you win a war is by winning the battles. It's little things, like, you guys can't laugh at me, okay? Like, I will pray by myself before I eat. I love when we go out after service and we eat together, and it's always cool when we pray together as believers. But for whatever reason, I just conveniently forget that I'm a Christian when I'm around other non-Christians, and I just don't pray. It's not even like I don't make them pray. No, I just don't pray. I'll even be like be conscious. Like even if I do pray, like I'll make sure I don't put my hands up. Be like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this food. I'm going to eat. I actually find myself asking God for forgiveness more like, Lord, forgive me because you know I ain't about to pray. Not because, not because they're going <laughs> to, not because they're going to attack me or, or hang me or, or, oh, my God, he's a Christian. Just because it's awkward. Like. They're going to have to stare at me. Or it might even inconvenience them because they might see me praying and then not eat their meals. And it's just too awkward and, and it's trivial. And I find myself trying to win the trials, but I, what I find is I lose the trivial battles. Like I lose the, I don't want it to look like I'm leaving Martha to do all the work. Because then I'm just going to look bad. Can you imagine what my image is? These little things. People are making fun of my blonde hair and 
now I gotta. Meanwhile, Derek does it and we love it. I just think there's so many moments in which we've traded Jesus in for our image. And we get to avoid awkwardness for a moment, but we do it by giving up an endless moment. We should be an endless time with Jesus. Like, I feel like if I marry, Martha does that and I'm like, oh, my bad, my bad. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. Let me just help. Let me, let me get caught up. Let me. And I just don't want to live a life consumed with my image anymore. I want to live a life consumed with his glory. And I see that the way that Mary does this, the way that she chooses Jesus over her image, is that before her image was ever compromised, she was listening to his words, not Martha's. Like, you know, you know, Martha, that wasn't the first time Martha spoke. Like, I could imagine Jesus is coming in and she's like, all right, Mary, Mary, he's coming. We got to get ready. Come on, Mary. And then Mary's with Jesus. She's like, Mary, can you help me with the dishes? Mary. Mary. But Mary is so caught up in listening to words, the words of Jesus. And that by the time Martha says anything about her, we don't see Mary respond. You know what Mary does? <laughs> it's Jesus who talks, so she just keeps listening to Jesus. And if we want to live lives in which we are choosing Jesus over our image, we have to be listening, listening to the one who created us in his image, the one who knew us before we were formed, the one who knows the hairs on our heads. We got to be constantly in tune with him so that everybody who says words over our lives, we go, hold on, let me put that through my Jesus filter. Because it's not that you, you don't want to listen to people's feedback. No, the Bible says feedback can be good. There are going to be mentors and people who are in your life who are meant to build you up. All of that. But, but there is a difference between construction and tearing people down. And what I find Martha is doing is not in any way to edify Mary in this moment. She's weak. She's broken. She's caught up. She's exasperated. And she just cries out, Lord, don't you care? Mary's left me. But if we're listening to his word, It'll allow us to be unaffected by the words of others. And what's crazy, what's crazier to me, is Mary never responds to Martha. Like, that's not what I thought Mary was going to do. I thought Mary was going to be involved. Like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Like, let me tell you what I think millennial Mary would have done. Jesus, Mary left me, and then millennial Mary would have stood up, she better, excuse me, this is my right. I stand by the word. I'm sitting by his feet. She would have quoted 17 scriptures from the book of opinions <laughs> as to why she's able to sit by his feet. And then she would have tweeted, hashtag speak my truth. <laughs> I'm a child of God, the most high. I'm a son or I'm a daughter in that case. Because at some point in our Christian lives, I feel like we've confused Christianity with activism. Like we feel like we got to rise, and defend, and war with people. What? They're talking about Jesus like that? Ooh, oh, oh no, take off my earrings. I'm about to hit them with the word. And we feel like we got to rise to defend. And like this is for me because I've been having these thoughts like, wait, like I'm going to be honest, I got caught up watching these YouTube videos. YouTube is a scary place, guys. Like two hours watching like the videos of Israelites defending and debating other Christians. And I'm like, ooh, I gotta, I read like all of Romans to like have like proof. And now, and I'm calling Rome, I'm like, yo, I'm going to the ferry tomorrow because I want to talk to them. Like, tell me what you believe. I'm ready. But nowhere in the Bible does that happen. Show me where Paul debates a non Christian. You know who Paul comes at? Christians. Like, you should know better. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible is that what bold faith looks like. What bold faith looks like is Paul in prison. The prison doors being broken because of his, his worship. I don't know about you, but if I'm in prison and the prison doors open because I'm worshiping, that's a sign from God. I'm leaving. That's it. Jesus set me free. Amen. But Paul stays in the prison for the sake of the prison guard. The next day, the prison guard is getting ready to hang himself. And he goes, no, 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 no. We're still here. And he leads that guy to Jesus. 
And I think we've been so caught up in warring and picking up the word as a sword. Yeah, the word is a sword. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible says also that our war is not with flesh and blood. It's with the spirit. We find nowhere in the Bible where there's bold faith. In our Christian history, you know what bold faith has been? Christians in countries where it is illegal to worship God. Not rioting in the streets. I'm going to worship Jesus. Carrying their Bibles. Oh, my God. The other day I saw a Target video of some lady family protesting Target. It was crazy. I want to, like, go to stores and apologize. That's what I want my Christian protest to be. Like, they're not with us. They don't go to Kuha. <laughs> but that's, that's the reputation we have. But bold faith looks like those Christians in countries where it's illegal being silent and forming underground churches where people can encounter the gospel. Because you, the way you change the world is not with a war. That's not the way I changed. Is that the way you changed? Is, did somebody here prove to you logically and debate you till you were numb as to why? No. You know how I changed? I met Jesus. And there's a world who hasn't met Jesus because what they've met is our, our good book. Now nah, show them the book that, that leads them to love and repentance. Bold faith looks like Christians during the Holocaust, not screaming in the streets, down with Hitler. I don't know why I sound like Chris Rock when I'm angry. <laughs> but Christians staying quiet, but hiding Jews so that their lives may not be that their lives might be that would be saved. Nazis coming to their door, putting their lives at risk. Christians being a part of the underground railroad to set captive slaves free. That's bold faith. It's a bold faith that says my war is not with you. My war is with the spirit. So what I'm going to do is love. And we see Peter. Oh, my God. We see Peter take up this attitude that we've taken. That I've taken. They try to arrest Jesus. In the moments where they're going to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out. I feel like Peter would have been Puerto Rican. He pulls out a sword, cuts off a Roman soldier's ear. He's like, I got your back, Jesus. They ain't touching you. This is the Reuben translation. That's a lot more entertaining, I promise. He pulls a razor blade out of his tongue. You guys are laughing too hard. Y'all been set free. Y'all like, I still got mine. Uh. Cuts off homeboy's ear. And Jesus, like, I wish the Bible was a video so I could see Jesus' face. Because Jesus is like, like that Kevin Hart meme. Like, bruh. Like, yo, you've been with me for three. I can feel like Jesus is mine. Like, you've been with me for three years. When have we ever pulled out a knife? When have we said, yo, it's about to be on. We about to scrap. When did that happen? Like, when? Actually. Every time a situation rose up, yo, Jesus ran away. They tried to arrest him. They tried to stone him, and he ran away. That's why if we ever get into a fight, no, I'm going to be like Jesus. <laughs> know that. If we go out to Jersey Street evangelizing and sign pop, I'm going to live like Jesus. And Jesus' response to Peter is, those who live by the sword... Die by the sword. And then Jesus is put in a position where he's not protecting his followers. He's protecting those who do not follow him. Because he then goes and heals the Roman soldier. And I just feel like our faith has cut off the ears of so many people. Like our Christian history. Before you even became a Christian. Like y'all know what the Crusades is? It's crazy. People have killed, murdered, raped pillaged, taken over countless places, ruined lives in the name of Jesus. There are so many ears that have been cut off to the gospel. 
But we need to be in a position where now we are healing people, not hurting them. Because how could you ever expect someone to accept something that they believe has caused them so much? Here's the thermometer. Here's what's become my check balance. Here, there's two criteria that I know that keeps me in check. Because it's hard. Like, when people cut me off or whenever I walk home, and I say, you live in Park Hill too, so whenever I walk home, like, I turn into this gangster that I'm not. I got like a little limp, like, yo, let me. So I need a check. Here's my check. You should never be put in a position where you're the enemy of people. But Reuben, the Bible, yeah, the Bible says that people will be your enemy. People will persecute you. People, blessed are you for who, who, who endures so much things. People will be your enemy. But you should never be in a position where you are now the enemy to people. Can I give you the biblical principle? The Bible says that while we were enemies to Jesus, Jesus was our adversary. No, Jesus was our enemy. No, it says Jesus was our friend. Jesus died for us while we were enemies, while we were sinners, while we were dead. Jesus. And like I said before, I'm called to be like Jesus. Do we have a church who wants to live like Jesus who says, let the world be my enemy. I'm going to continue loving them. I'm going to continue being a friend to them. Do you know how Rome changed? Rome was persecuting countless Christians. Every Christian author of the Bible, yeah, we love them, but they all were murdered. Not one died of natural causes. Not one. I'll check it later, but they all, and even then, it's like one dude, and it's because he lied. You know how Rome changed? People just kept loving people, preaching about the gospel. And the Roman emperor at the time says that he had an encounter with Jesus. And from there, Rome's official religion became Christianity. Not because the, the Christians at that time ran up, kicked in the door, waving the fork. No. <laughs> Psalms 4-4, you didn't? Anyway. <laughs> No, because Christians were just there, worshiping, leading others to the gospel. That's my one criteria. And the second thing is this. I, I live like Paul. Paul says, I've become all things and everything without, without sinning. Don't say I said you could do all things. Um, Lord, Reuben, I'm just, anyway. So that people might know the gospel. And so I try to live in all things life. I'm in all things life. Because my default, I'm too honest up here. I preach here and then you guys like tell me stuff and hold it against me. I'm going to be honest. My default to a lot of people is this. Nah, you're wrong. Yo, do you know that? Nah, nah, you're wrong. Victor sent me his countless YouTube videos and I want to be like. <laughs> I love you, Vic. No. That's my default because I've, I've, somewhere in life I've developed this, this, this thing. And, but I've learned to embrace the all things life where I listen to people, even if I disagree with them, even if I don't think I'm right. I listen to the people. And you know what I found? One, I get to know them on a deeper level. And two, sometimes I'm glad I didn't say they were wrong because I was wrong. And when we remain open, it allows us to learn from others, but not only that, but lead them to Jesus. And I see Mary, and she does not even raise up a defense to Martha. She remains quiet, and in that, in seating at his feet, God is allowed to speak, and he speaks on her behalf. So how do we choose Jesus over our image? Well, we hear his voice over the crowd. Before we ever put in a position where we have to make the choice. And the more we listen to him, the less we become concerned with our image because we're holding on to his image. We're holding on to his image. So it's not about me. You could slander my name. You could call me ugly. You could say my blonde hair ain't Christian. The book of opinions tells me it is. But I'm not holding on to my image I'm holding on to his. And it's in his defense of Mary that we see the last decision that Mary makes. He says, made, he says to Martha, you're worried about many things, 
but few things are needed, and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. He says, Martha, you are worried about many things. And the last thing we see Mary choosing is Jesus over her worry. And I could, again, I think Martha gets such a bad rep, but I relate to her so much because I believe Martha was anxious. Could you imagine having to put on a service, not for Pastor Rowe, not for me, like the guest preacher is Jesus? Like, okay, okay, we got to get, Jesus was early. Why is Jesus on time? Why we got to serve an on time, God? Like, no, we got to get the dishes. We got to get this. All right, God, can you get your feet off the couch? Can you, come on, Mary? Mary, I'm by myself. Oh, there's so much to do. Oh, my God. All right, all right, all right, all right. If I can just get this done. Oh, Jesus is there. How come nobody got him water? Can we? Oh, he's the living water. All right, all right. How do we? And Martha is just like, help me. Because she feels so helpless. Because she's so caught up in anxiety. And I could see Martha. And I don't think that Mary wasn't worried. When you consider the life she lived, when you consider everything, you, like, I don't think it's possible for Mary to have not been worried. It's not that she didn't have stuff to worry about. It's that she chose Jesus in spite of her worry. And I think we, we I, I want to be a church that we don't say, hey, it's not that I'm not worried. It's not that I'm hashtag good vibes only. No, no, no. Life is tough. Life is hard. But in spite of it, I choose Jesus over my worry. And here's the key there. Because worry, to me, worry is what leads to our anxiety. And as someone who struggled with anxiety, like I struggled with anxiety my whole life and didn't know until I got to college where they told me, yeah, Ruben, that's anxiety. I was like, oh, I thought that was just how I was. I am whatever you say. Anyway. And anxiety is this crazy thing because anxiety is fear without a label. Like I could run from a lion. I could run from a gun. I, could, I can't run from a fear that I don't know. Anxiety is I'm scared. I'm scared and I, I don't know why I'm scared. And like Martha, we turn to the things and we say, well, if I can just do this, I'll get rid of my fear. And if I can just get this done, I'll, I'll be fine. And if I can just, if I can just, and we're trying to solve our problems. But here's the thing. I don't believe that anxiety is humanly, it's humanly possible to get rid of anxiety. As someone who's lived through it, uh, through my experience in counseling and what I've learned in school, I don't think it's humanly possible. I think you can manage it. I think you could cope with it. I think you can prevent the triggers. Like I can prevent my anxiety, but I will always be an anxious person because I don't think it's, it's possible to humanly get rid of anxiety because I believe at the core of anxiety, what causes worry is a control issue. And not that you're controlling. No, I think controlling people are actually better at not dealing with anxiety because they control everything. It's, it's not that kind of control. It's being in control of your life over God being in control of your life. Let me explain. If I'm in control of my life, well, then it's up to me to make the perfect decision. It's up to me to protect myself. It's up to me to make sure they don't hurt me. It's up to me to make sure my family doesn't get hurt. It's up to me to protect my kids. It's up to me to make sure people treat me right. It's up to me to make sure they, they don't disrespect me. They don't, they don't talk to me that way. It's up to me. It's up to me. It's up to me to get a good job. It's up to me to provide. It's all up to me. And I don't know about you, but I just can't handle that. Like, it's just too much. I'm not strong enough. And so when I find myself trying to control my life or allowing him to control my life, I find myself freaking out and worrying and choosing my worry over Jesus. But when I surrender my life to Christ, it's he who directs my path. It's he who works all things, whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're mediocre, whether they're just whatever, whether they're horrible, whether they're tragic. It's he who works all things together for my good. It's he who guides me. It's he who gives me peace. It's he who guides me on the path of righteousness. And it's he who guides me when I'm in the valley of darkness. It's him. 
And it's in his presence that we find that peace. Like I look at Mary and she didn't just separate herself, but she placed herself at Jesus' feet. Not only does she step away, but she steps into his very presence. And it's when I get in the presence of God and begin to speak with him and listen to him and release control of my life. When we release control of our life into his hands and place all our worries into his hands, then we begin to feel his peace. Can I show you how Philippians puts it? In Philippians 4, it says, don't be anxious. I want to start a sermon series like called, what if we stop there? Like, don't be anxious. Okay. Here's, here's what he says. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, but how? Oh, okay. But in every situation, not some, not a little, not one, in every situation, instead of being anxious by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then what? And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's literally saying the answer to worry and anxiousness is to ask God for your needs, remind yourself of his promises and what he's given you, thank him for what you have. And it doesn't say you're going to be granted what you request, but you will be given his peace. And his peace will protect your mind and your heart. Where do you feel anxiety in the most? My mind and my heart. From the anxiousness. From the worry. All you have to do is, is not that the requests are fulfilled. It's that the requests are then released to him. And I believe Mary was able to choose Jesus over her worry because she had already given him authority over her life way before it ever came that she had to make this choice. And I, you see this in her, the difference between how she interacts with Jesus and how Martha interacts with Jesus. Martha sees Jesus as a method. She comes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care? Make Mary do something. She's already got the answer to her problem. Lord, if you would just give me the answer. Lord, if you would just give me more finances. Lord, if you would just give me that job. Lord, if you would just give me that girl. Y'all didn't pray that? That was my whole high school life. Because um, we have the answers to our own problems. Because Jesus is a method to Martha. Don't you care? Have you ever had a don't you care prayer life? I've been there. Like, Lord, like, Lord, why am I going through this? Haven't I been doing right in your eyes? Haven't I been, like, Lord, don't you care about me? Don't you? But when my perspective shifts to Mary's, see, Mary saw Jesus as a master. She was sitting by his feet. She had taken, it's not just where she was. It was the posture that she took because a student does that. She was probably sitting with the disciples who were learning from Jesus, who saw him as a teacher, who saw him as a master, who said, Lord, you are the ruler of my life. And she puts herself in a position where it's God's authority. And when Martha speaks and her worries could come in and Mary could rise up and, and have a panic attack, she allows God to speak in her life. She chooses Jesus over her problems. She chooses Jesus over the distractions, and she chooses Jesus over her image. And this story isn't so much about how she wasn't worried, she wasn't distracted, and she wasn't worried about her image. I believe that it's really about how she chose God over the many things, over anything, and over everything. I want to be someone who chooses God over everything. I'm just, I'm tired of a counterfeit anything. Because there's nothing better than Jesus. There's just nothing better than his love. There's just nothing better than his presence. Have you, have you been here during worship? When you can just feel his presence. I ain't never been here and worried. 
because I just know in the midst of his presence, there's nothing better. And that song, Endless Alleluia, just like Mary's choice isn't so much about how she, it's not that she didn't have the many things, it's that she chose God over the many things. When we sing Endless Alleluia, it's not so much that there is no struggle to have an endless lifestyle of worship. It is a declaration, it is a choice that in spite of the many things, I choose Jesus. In spite of my worry, in spite of my finances, in spite of the family members I've lost, in spite of my struggle, in spite of my anxiety, in spite of my worry, I choose Jesus. When I say you're the first thought on my mind, I mean you are the first thought on my mind over anything that could ever be because you are better than everything. And when I sing join in heaven's song, singing out an endless hallelujah, we proclaim that we choose a life consumed with Jesus over anything else we could consume our lives with. Because we know and accept There's just nothing better. This message isn't you have to worship Jesus. You have to choose. No, you don't have to. But you won't be experiencing the better. You can choose many things. I think, again, Martha chose good things. She didn't choose the better thing. And here, here's what's key here. God doesn't just say that Mary chose the better thing. He says, you're worried over many things, but only one thing is needed. And I think so often in life, we are worried about what we need to get. Like if I can just get there, like if I could just get a job, if I could just get the right job, if I could just get the right person, if I could just, and we're worried over the many things, but we're not starting our life with the foundation. The only thing that matters is Jesus. And here's the thing, if I can just get Jesus, I have everything. I have everything. Let's, let's stand to our feet. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com slash give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.